0: you are
1: listening to the order transmissions special episode 11 and now here are Craig and Jeff
2: the Tricorder Transmissions. That was a track from the Great Band Five-Year Mission. That was the Trouble with Tribbles number five from their Trouble with Tribbles EP. You can check it out on iTunes and YouTube. It's all over the place. We'll have a link in the show notes. And we've got the Super Panel back together tonight to discuss all things Tribble related. So how's it going, everybody? April, Vernon, Chris?
0: I'm, I'm great. It's so good to be here. Super Panel!
2: <laughs> uh, you were waiting to do that, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's good to be back. What's up? Uh, Oh, hey, Chris. And, of course, we are your hosts, Jeff Hewlett.
3: And Craig Cohen.
2: All right. Everybody sounds like they're in a good mood, ready to talk Tribbles. Oh, heck yeah. All right. So, you know, we're going to start where where it all started. So we'll start with the original series episode, The Trouble with Tribbles. And as we always do with the super panel, we're just going to go with a quick roundtable, your general thoughts and impressions on the original Tribbles episode. So uh, who wants to kick this one off?
0: Well, obviously, it's one of the you know top uh, top five I think uh, episodes of all of the original series and possibly all of Star Trek. It's pretty darn good, uh, very popular, very funny. The Tribbles are adorable and um, they're iconic, you know, just like Kirk and Spock. The Tribbles, uh, you if we had Tribbles at the experience, and even if people were not familiar with much of Trek. They went right for the troubles. So obviously, uh, it, it, uh, resonates.
4: All right. Vernon. Uh, yeah, she pretty much took the words right out of my mouth. It's an iconic <laughs> original episode, probably one of the best. They were usually afraid to go comedy, but they, they went ahead and, and dared to do it this time and it worked. I, I think they should have done it more often. Uh, it's a crowning achievement for David Gerald and, um, I think Tribbles really help, you know, people always talk about the new J.J. movies, bringing new young fans into the franchise. Well, I'll tell you what, all you need are Tribbles because there's this 22-year-old girl at work who had these little fuzzy deedly bops in her hair I said, hey, you got Tribbles on your head. She's like, "Eh, what? (laughs) So I was like, okay, you need to watch a Star Trek episode called The Trouble with Tribbles. She was like, oh, my God, it was so cool. I want more. So I gave her DVDs of... uh, more Tribbles, more troubles, Trials and Tribulations. And then she sees the the first JJ movie, or I'm sorry, the second JJ movie, and she gets, oh my god, there's a Tribble in there! Did you know there's a Tribble in there? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. Now she's all over it. She's Netflixing all of Star Trek, and all it took were a couple of Tribbles
3: in her hair. That's excellent, because I never really thought of uh, the gateway for for younger people. That is an excellent point there, Vernon. Especially girls. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think the original uh, the original writers and casters might be a little bit upset to hear that it was Tribbles. They thought it was Chekhov. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they didn't need to hire anybody at all. All they needed was little fuzzy balls laying around. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there's a there's a bad joke in there somewhere.
2: Yeah,
1: I know. I always go down that road. Uh, <laughs> Chris, what about you? It's a fun episode. Uh some good character moments in there, but I do think it's somewhat overrated. Uh, I don't even think it's in the top 10 star Trek episodes actually. And I'm more a fan of it because of deep space nine episode. That episode I think is fantastic and really outdoes it.
3: Well, yeah, the, the deep space nine uh, episode really helps sort of like reframe that episode almost, which is, which is really, really neat.
2: Yeah. We're going to be hitting on that a a little bit later uh, when we, when we get past this in the animated series. So I have a couple of topics that I thought might be fun to discuss and, um, in no particular order, but one thing that came up while we were doing our commentary about this episode was uh, the the quasi-villain Cyrano Jones. So I think Craig and I were both of the same opinion that we thought that it would have maybe been a better choice just to bring Harry Mudd back for this uh, role. I know Chris Ritzer will disagree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, uh, Vernon, what do you think? Do you think Harry Mudd would have been more entertaining than Cyrano Jones?
4: More entertaining, yes. More recognizable, yes. And uh, it, it would be neat to think that there's a trilogy of mud episodes in the original series, but we only get the two. Cyrano is okay. He has his own charm. He's a one-off character. Well, it, unless you include the animated episode. Uh, he's a charming actor. It's a charming character. But I do think, and I hate to say this, it would have been better with Harry Mudd. Yeah. Yeah, cool. April, what about you?
0: Yeah, I agree. In fact, I have to say, and Vernon set me straight. I actually got them confused with each other. I don't remember the (laughs) reference, but I was saying, you know, Harry Mudd. He's like, no, that's Cyrano Jones. I'm like, oh my (laughs) gosh, yes. So they're obviously their characters are a bit interchangeable. I think. Absolutely. They would have. One could have done all of you know either one. So.
4: Oh, a little factoid about uh, Harry Mudd, uh, Roger C. Carmel. Uh, for you kids out there who don't know, he was the voice of Smokey the Bear for 30 years. Oh, really? And for those of you who lived in California, he was the spokesman for Senor Nogle's, the Mexican chain of restaurants.
2: Yeah, I think Craig had supplied a clip of one of those commercials and we included it on the end of our um, Mud's Women episode,
3: I believe, right, Craig? Yeah, some of those commercials are on YouTube uh, and they're great to go back and, uh, and, and what watch. What a time those. machine. Yeah. That's
2: fantastic. Oh, well, You know what? I'll, I'll pull a link for one of those, and I'll stick it in the show notes for anybody who's interested in seeing it, because seeing the video along with the audio is pretty cool.
4: When I was a kid in the 80s watching Star Trek on KCOP in California, the Nogles commercials would come up during Star Trek, during the reruns of Star Trek. Uh, in fact, I think I saw one during uh, iMud,
3: which oh, was pretty cool. That's pretty That's neat. some pretty... Um, I, I'd like to think that was a, an ambitious um, cable uh, executive nope just a
4: small world thing no one probably had
3: even a clue what they were <laughs> yeah. doing uh
4: didn't senior noggles get
2: absorbed into another uh mexican fast food chain taco bell i think it's
4: yeah Oh, i think it's del taco oh was it del taco i think oh del, yeah i'm sorry you're right
3: del taco yeah Yeah, i,
2: I thought i had read something about that so um y- you can't go into a del taco well, we should go we should while we're out in vegas we should all dress as harry and go to del taco
3: well, you know I love going to Del Taco. That's one of my mandatory stops when I'm in Vegas.
2: I'm sure we'll be hitting that when we're out there. So, uh, Craig, any any thoughts? I, I want to expand on on our commentary, about Harry Mudd versus Cyrano Jones for this.
3: No, I'm more interested in hearing out why Chris thinks that Mud wouldn't have been a good fit. Is it because you think that this episode's beneath him?
1: I just cannot stand Harry Mudd at all. Oh, he's not a mud fan? No, th- I think those are the two oh, worst damn. episodes ever in Star Trek. I wow. despise them. Oh, oh my god! Just, ugh. they're terrible. <laughs> wow, the, the
2: the the vitriol coming out towards Harry Mudd. <laughs> so,
3: Chris, I get I I guess this is the point where we come out and say that this is our intervention tonight, um, <laughs> to you know, uh, to get you off of the I hate Harry Mudd. Uh, yeah,
4: listen to all this mudslinging.
1: <laughs> oh, oh boy,
2: boo! Oh my god. Yeah, I think I remember Chris saying something about his hatred for Harry Mud on an earlier episode. I'm, I'm, I don't remember what we were talking about, but um, I remember you for somehow that came up in conversation, and it was a little bit earlier on. So,
1: but he, both of the I can understand maybe Mud's women, but even I Mud, you don't like. Yep, yeah, both of them. He just the guy really grates on my nerves. Wow. <laughs> Wow, like a like like really nails on a blackboard.
4: <laughs> All right. Did anyone catch, <laughs> did anyone catch the quick uh, quip in in into darkness that 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 ship that they used to get to Kronos was Harry Mudd's confiscated uh, Yeah. Ship.
3: Just making sure. Yeah. The one scene I think Mudd really would have stood out in this episode is the scene where the the fight breaks out between, you know, Scotty and Chekov and the and the Klingons. And um, Cyrano is, you know, sort of making drinks and he's trying to get out of the area without spilling his drink. And I think that really had a, a mud feel to it. And I think that, that Carmel would have done a really, really great job, not to take anything away from what um, Stanley Adams did.
2: Yeah, but couldn't you see, you know, during that fight scene, one of the Klingons, you know, grabs Harry Mudd by the collar and then Mudd's doing one of his trying to talk his way out of it kind of comedic moments?
0: That would have been lovely.
2: Yeah, yeah, that would have been great. I think Cyrano Jones just kind of, you know, strolls out trying to steal a drink, and then you have the comedic moment where the bartender comes and takes the drink back out of his hand, and then he's got another one in his pocket. <laughs> so that was about as much as you got from him out of that scene.
4: Roger C. Carmel probably would have improvised something better.
2: Uh, no doubt in my mind. So, any further thoughts on Mud versus Jones? Anybody before we move along? No. Okay. So. Another thing I wanted to ask you guys about, especially uh, April and Vernon. So this episode establishes the fact that the Klingons are afraid of Tribbles. Was there ever a time where somebody brought a Tribble into uh, the the experience and tried to scare one of the Klingons with it?
4: It well, happened all the time. One One particular episode I want to point out is that my niece was eight years old at the time. I uh she loved Star Trek the experience. She was in heaven every time we took her in there. And uh I was off work, so we were just sitting in quarks with her parents. I grabbed a tribble from uh retail and Churrock, Mark White's, uh, Commander Churok was in the bar doing his rounds. He's eight feet tall, he's an imposing Klingon, <laughs> and I gave this little eight-year-old girl the tribble and said, Without her knowledge, uh, knowing, you know, unwittingly, I said, "Uh, honey, you want to take this over and hand it to the nice Klingon man? (laughs) (laughs) He's doing his shtick with somebody at the bar. She comes up behind him and and tugs on his, you know, the back of his uh, uniform. He turns around and he goes, what is he? Ah!" and he's. (laughs) it out of her hand and it goes flying across the bar which instantly gave me a feeling of oh no that's gonna scare the hell out of her but she was giggling so hard she couldn't (laughs) breathe because he was so scared of that creature he was you know what the experienced actors and i'm not i'm not talking about me i'm talking about the other ones they really knew how to play that was a split second decision Chirac made and it was absolutely the right
0: one
2: that's an awesome story
0: yeah Oh yes, well we had tribbles all over the place. They were kept generally in like a big basket, and they'd replenish the basket because those things went like hotcakes. The
4: tribble bins.
0: Yes, tribble bins, and they were always you know we always had to get new tribbles in because uh, they they were quite the big seller. But here's uh, here's one now. Can you hear that?
4: Did you just (laughs) hit that tribble? Yeah, you have to hit it. It's a, it's a official Star Trek The Experience tribble. They were manufactured by, uh, I just read the tag. The Idea Factory in New York City, um, they manufactured them for our entire run there. I can't, I can't even guess how many Oh were my God. made and sold. Tens of thousands. Tens
0: of thousands are out there somewhere. I'm I sure. have
4: about 20 of them.
0: <laughs> That's right. But uh, yeah, so so the Klingons would would stay far away from those bins. They didn't. They wouldn't even go <laughs> near them. And if somebody had a a triple in their hand, they would you know they would either uh, make fun of them or tell them to put it down or whatever. But the Ferengi loved to tease the uh, the Klingons. <laughs> and uh, oh yes. Yeah, they would uh, take the the uh, the tribbles out of the bin and chase the Klingons around, and the Klingons were just you know they'd be running like little girls. It uh, it was pretty funny. I've
4: always thought that that concept in the in the Star Trek canon was analogous to uh, that Greek fable where the the lion is afraid of the ma- wait the elephant's afraid of the mouse. I don't know. Something about a thorn and a mouse. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'll get back to you. <laughs> that was an Aesop's fable, wasn't it?
0: Thank you. Thank oh, you. Apparently. But uh, yeah, so well, it, it all goes back to the fact that I think that the Klingons believed that the Tribbles uh, did like serious ecological damage to to Kronos, like, right?
4: Like 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 the kangaroos
3: in Australia. Yes. Yeah. Or, yes. Yeah, I think they briefly. Is it? Me- I, I watched them so close together. It's either the animated series or the DS Nine episode.
0: It's, it's Worf Explains It. Worf Explains yeah, okay. It. Okay,
3: so it was the DS9 episode, yeah. yeah.
0: So they almost destroyed their home world, and, uh, and they managed to get rid of them, but uh, they consider them, the Tribbles, to be their enemy. So, of course, they're not <laughs> going to have uh, good feelings about the cute little fuzzy guys. Do they
4: still sing songs of the great Tribble Hunt? <laughs> That's my favorite line in the whole thing.
2: <laughs> that is a great line. All right. So we will move along. So I don't think a super panel discussion would be complete without another one of my harebrained schemes and (laughs) theories about things that they could have used for plausible explanations for the difference between the original series Klingons and the next gen Klingons and beyond. So as we were watching back with the original triples episode, I realized that not only does Kirk mispronounce the name, but one of the Klingons mispronounces the name. They both call them Klingons.
4: Actually, that's that's not a mispronunciation. Uh, Klingon is actually how Roddenberry wanted it pronounced. People kept saying, uh, elongating the A and saying Klingons, and that just stuck after a while. But the, the Klingons are named after Roddenberry's police partner in the LAPD, Robert Klingon. Oh, wow. And that's how it's actually supposed to be uh, pronounced. Well, it, is
0: it spelled differently in the, in the script?
4: K-L-I-N-G-A-N. I don't know how they spelled it in the script. Usually you see the word Klingon with an O. Oh, yeah. And people just naturally say Klingon. But the, the word is actually Klingon.
2: Oh, that's very cool. Right. Well, I was thinking that they could have used that as the explanation. Now, The, the, the old style could have been the Klingons, and the next <laughs> gen could have been the Klingons. They could have been from the same planet, just a different race, right?
4: (laughs) Well, they glossed that over in uh, Trials by just having Worf say it's a long story, we don't talk about it, blah, blah, blah. There's a wonderful two-part episode of Enterprise, Affliction and Mm -hmm. Divergence, where you get the
3: full explanation for the makeup change. Yeah, the one thing we noticed, though, was that after the, um, was it uh, Errand of Mercy, where we had the first appearance of the Klingons? Yep. I believe that was the first core. Yeah, that yeah. was the first. Core had really, really sort of a detailed, defined look. Whereas the one thing I that, that we sort of noticed watching um subsequent episodes, and the trouble with Tribbles uh is one of them, is you just sort of had guys wearing Klingon suits um with you know facial hair. And yeah, that seems facial hair, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, don't don't forget the grease paint. That's grease right. Paint. Yeah, but I mean, see, even it seems like on the Trouble with Tribble, they they went a little light on that.
4: They
2: didn't seem as dark skinned as Cora did.
3: In fact, I don't believe
4: uh, Mister Campbell had any dark uh, uh, grease paint on at all. I think he was yeah, just Caucasian.
0: Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, he, he's dark, no, he was pretty dark. No, he
3: was he was his regular pasty self in that episode.
0: Oh, now I have to look because I think <laughs> you are wrong.
3: That's something okay. they should have fixed in the remaster.
0: There you go.
2: And they didn't even fix it in the DS9 remake either. They're still pretty light.
0: Well, he did have the dark hair and the dark dark eyebrows and the dark facial hair, so maybe I just thought he was swarthy. Can I can
4: I pull us out of this for just a second and just say that when you're talking to Vernon, (laughs) you you never say the words "you" and "wrong" in the same sentence.
0: Oh, I started something.
4: Well, we could... check
0: it out,
4: actually. Right. No, I know I'm right. So yeah, okay, I, I'm he's a, right. I don't have to check out anything.
0: I, I stand corrected. I sit corrected. Or whatever. <laughs>
4: <laughs> All
2: right, now, now, you guys. Be nice. You're in the same room. Uh... So uh I guess we've established that my uh, this harebrained scheme is, is just as invalid as my previous harebrained scheme. So uh thank you once again, Vernon, for shooting me down.
4: <laughs> Sorry. That's Sorry. his job, though. That's, my job young man
2: that's quite a right I, I i discovered that i need some sort of a mute button for vernon so he doesn't make me look dumb anymore
3: <laughs> <laughs> vernon's like in the top one percent of star trek fans though it's, oh, it's he pretty is. amazing
0: yes yes it,
3: it, it's uh, it's amazing to have to have vernon uh as an ally
0: yeah, you don't want
2: him as a <laughs> Well, Thank God he's on our side right now.
0: Oh, I appreciate that.
4: In fact, you, got, you guys know that Larry Nemecak he does not let me in to the trivia uh, contests at the convention. Really? So two years ago, when I noticed it was going on in this room next to the one I was in, I snuck in and I hid behind this rather large woman that was in line. <laughs> to uh, seriously. <laughs> (laughs) i'm hiding behind her in the lineup to answer the trivia questions at the microphone and then when she's finally eliminated he sees me standing there and he goes okay vernon okay and he throws (laughs) the cards away and he grabs this book and he goes and he he asks me a trivia question that he thinks he'll stump me and of course i blew it out of the water and uh but to get me back he didn't just let me have a prize that i would pick on my own accord he tells kayla hand him a J.J. Abrams-related prize. (laughs) And and the audience even knew, you know, what that meant, and they were like, oh. uh, In fact, I think that prize went to April's uh, granddaughter. Uh, What is it? It was the the J.J. Abrams. It was either a communicator or a phaser. I don't know. They all look the same on that version. Oh, yeah, yes,
0: yes. Yes, you did give it to Dave. It all
4: looks like Appleware. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, Vernon, can't you cleverly
2: disguise yourself this time?
4: Yes, I will wear the, um, uh, uh, the Groucho Marx glasses and mustache next time. Oh, and, wait, and why, why don't you just
2: glasses? dress up like a giant tribble? <laughs> and we can roll you in.
4: <laughs> you know, I'm almost there. I just need the fur. That's about it.
2: <laughs> all right. So uh, any other thoughts on the original... A uh, Tribbles episode that you guys want to bring up before we move through to the animated series?
4: I want to say that it was groundbreaking in a lot of ways, just in in the in the regular sense of the series. It's the first time we get the geography of being on a space station and seeing the Enterprise sliding by out the window. Uh, that gave that's a really nice spatial sense, I think. The, the, the show never had before Yeah, and yeah. it's also uh, it, it showed a confidence that episode, it was so confident in the structure of its universe we're on a space station, we got some political stuff going on, we can even throw in some uh, cute creatures and a funny story uh, that the episode doesn't come across as, as labored, it's just here's a natural story from the Star Trek universe It's it's funny and it's cool and it's got some stuff you won't see in any other episode
2: very true April, any any closing thoughts on the original series episode?
0: It uh, like I said, it's a, it's one of my favorites, and uh, th- that's about it. You know, I mean, I think we I think we covered
1: it. Cool, Chris. Anything? I love for you? Scotty's reason for starting the fight in the bar. Yes, <laughs> that is excellent.
4: <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> they can rip on Captain Kirk all they want, but don't talk bad about the Enterprise. And I
4: agree. I totally agree. Oh wow. Because okay, Kirk's a human. He can defend himself, and if he's not around. Hey man, he was just being dissed without being around the Enterprise. It cannot person to person verbally defend itself. So Scotty was speaking up for the Enterprise.
2: That's a nice way to think about it. That's kind of you know, Craig a while back had uh, equated the Enterprise to a character on the show, and there was a couple of uh, there was a a stretch of time where we barely saw the Enterprise, and he had remarked that he missed that character.
3: Um, actually, I have one question for that possibly Vernon can answer for us. And I know we, we briefly discussed it on our commentary for this episode, but Vernon, is there any explanation that you know of that explains how Scotty transported all of the tribbles over to the Klingon vessel?
4: Well, he would have had to have used internship beaming, which during the course of the original series was, uh, experimental and very tricky to do. Uh, He probably would have had Spock use the uh, use his scanners to lock those life forms, that particular kind of life form into Scotty's transporter matrix and and get them over there. Um, They gloss over that that part, of course, in a cute little story. We'll never know exactly how it was done. But between Scotty and Spock, that's that's a totally plausible
3: routine. Good enough for me, Vernon. I, I knew you'd have the answer.
2: Well, speaking of that final beaming of the tribbles over to the Klingon ship, this bring this brings back something to my memory that we talked about during our commentary, and I thought was pretty messed up. This now you know that they sent all of those tribbles to their death. You know the Klingons are just going to kill them all, right? That's well, kind of messed up. How do we
4: up. know that? Like Worf says, by the twenty third century, um, uh, the Klingon a lot of Klingon colonies were overrun by tribbles. How was it not? That it maybe it was. Um, Koloth's ship
0: that's right
4: that brought them there we don't we don't know how the tribbles got to the klingon colonies to cause this
3: problem i think that might have been it oh that's an excellent uh mm. that's an excellent theory vernon that's
2: that, definitely excellent that that brings us into uh, the animated series episode which kind of sheds a little more light onto you know the ecological disaster uh, that happened on the klingon homeworld so if anybody hasn't seen it, I'll give a quick rundown about what happens. I'm not sure if uh, how widely viewed the animated series was as opposed to the uh, regular series episode. So pretty much the Enterprise runs into a small ship that's being chased by some Klingons who are trying to shoot it down. And they rescue the pilot of that ship just before it blows up, which has, winds up being Cyrano Jones, who has stolen a uh, Klingon uh, biologically engineered Tribble predator which is an interesting looking little creature called the glommer he also has supposedly genetically engineered tribbles so that they don't reproduce anymore they just get fat instead so uh, a lot of things happen uh, the Klingons introduce a new weapon which is a very strange weapon in itself we're going to talk about a little bit more about that uh, as the episode here goes on but um, everything winds up being okay and and uh, McCoy at the end staves the day by actually creating a sterile tribble and I guess maybe ending the the Tribble menace as we know it. But uh, anybody uh, out there have any thoughts on the animated series episode uh, in general? How about, Vernon, how about you start Well, the fact
4: that the Tribbles were genetically manipulated to be fat and sterile, I'm thinking they must have somehow given it my genes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, the (laughs) self-deprecation. You know, I was going to say Shatner, but I thought, I thought it would be funnier if I used myself. No, no, no. No, but, okay, there's a little factoid. Uh, in fact, I was watching David Gerald's, um audio commentary on the, it's funny, the animated episode has an audio commentary by the writer, David Gerald, mm-hmm. uh, where he actually talks about the animated episode and the original episode, but there's none on uh, the original Trouble with Tribbles. Uh, but the funniest thing about that episode, I don't have much to say about the animated episode, other than it's funny that the the tribbles were pink because the guy in charge of color swatches at Filmation uh was actually colorblind. Oh wow. How,
0: how can a guy oh, in wow. charge of color I know. swatches? Hey, yeah, it was
4: colorblind. it was the 70s. It was the 70s. That's
0: crazy.
4: Um and uh yeah, he got brown confused with pink.
2: That's I you know what? I just watched that the other day and I I didn't pick up on the fact that all the tribbles
3: were pink. And this is the episode where we learn that Jeff is colorblind. <laughs> Wow, all these years and I never knew.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Chris Chris Ritzer, thoughts on the animated episode? Yeah, I thought it was all right. I think, actually, it's the first time you ever get to see the Klingon Imperial Emblem. I think uh, you see Koloth on his ship and you see that tri-arm symbol. That
0: might be correct.
1: Yeah, that, that doesn't pop wow. up in the original series. and I noticed it on the animated series, watching that the other day. Interesting.
4: I think that's totally correct.
1: Wow, very cool. I, I didn't pick up on that. Great, great, great drop. Uh, April,
2: any thoughts?
0: Um, I did uh, at one. Oh, it was a couple of years ago. One of uh, costumes at the Star Trek convention was one of the glommers. You remember that? Oh yeah,
4: yeah the, the, the two. Were, yeah. They were the tribble and the glomer.
0: Yeah, it was really cute.
4: You can see the video of them on my Facebook page, Star Trek My Experience. <laughs>
3: oh, excellent.
0: <laughs> Yeah. So honestly, that was my first, I was like, what is that? I've never seen that before. You know, they had to tell me what it was. So I was like, Oh, okay. So seriously, that's as uh, that's as close as I've ever gotten to that episode of the animated series.
3: Jeff, you know what I, I really like about the animated series in general? And this episode is a, a, a perfect example of, of that is they weren't afraid to take advantage of the medium of animation. And the glomer is an perfect example of that because there's no way you could have done at that time a practical glamour that looked like that. And there's other many other episodes in the animated series that sort of took that approach. But it's cool to see that even back then that the sci-fi minds uh, or writers uh, or creators were able to see the potential in animation.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I have to say that it's actually quite Nice, but the art on it is is quite beautifully drawn. I mean, it really is a nice looking uh, series, and uh, it really does stand up. I think you know, in terms of the animation, stands up today. Filmation,
4: that company, Filmation had a nice aesthetic look. Uh, they had a lot of successful series in the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. Star Trek was one of them. They had Lassie and the Rescue Rangers, He Man. Yep. Uh, they did the Brady Kids, which was uh, I think their biggest hit next to star Trek. They had a really good aesthetic look with a very, uh, economic style of animation. I know they made me happy when I was a kid.
2: Yeah, me too. And a lot of, fun. I was a big He-Man fan when I was a kid. So He-Man and the masters of the universe. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. I, my voices are pretty bad, but I, 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 think, I think it's a good time for a super panel sidebar here. just, to, you guys ready for this? I'm just going to throw this out there for everybody. Uh, So, animated series, canon or not? Vernon.
4: Okay. Um, Despite what those involved with the creation of Star Trek say or think, that being posthumously Gene Roddenberry, you've got DC Fontana, um, you have people like the Okudas, who many fans consider the authorities on Star Trek, whether things are canon or not. In my little fan brain, I consider... Star Trek animated canon. Not only because so many things in that series uh, uh, fit the rest of the canon and were written by authentic Star Trek writers, but because any inconsistencies in the animated series that people say, well, this is inconsistent, so it can't be part of the canon, are smaller than any other inconsistency you find anywhere else in Star Trek, especially the the Jar Jar Abrams movies. So... uh, (laughs) I I totally consider it canon, and I I think it's a beautiful part of the canon. It fills in that gap gap between the original series and the motion picture. It fills it in very nicely Mm. and artistically.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I've already gone on record saying that I believe that it's canon for all of those same reasons. How about you, April? What do you think?
0: As Vernon said, uh, the writers, the you know the actors, the voice, um, they, they everything about it was what Star Trek was. So I can't say that it is not canon. Um, if if I were to say that that's not canon, I would have to say that uh, what happened at Star Trek: The Experience wasn't canon, no, but, which I completely disagree with because you know we were designed and produced and written by the people who were involved with Star Trek from the very beginning True, so yeah. yeah so we are Canon so just on that alone I gotta say that the animated series is also Canon
2: all right that, that's great a good point about the experience I hadn't I hadn't thought about that uh, Chris Ritzer,
1: Canon or not. Oh, definitely canon. I mean, you have all the original actors back for the most part. Roddenberry was heavily involved. He had a lot of the uh, writers from the original series. Yeah, it's without a doubt canon.
2: Oh, right. Craig, I think you went on record already saying it was canon, right?
3: Yeah, and just to follow up on what Chris just pointed out, he said Roddenberry was very involved. I'm not a fan of the retroactively deeming something not worthy, um, sort of like George Lucas did with the Star Wars Holiday Special. In my opinion, (laughs) if you take money for something— it's canon.
2: <laughs> nice. I like that. That that's yeah. a good point. Very yeah. cool. And I love how you worked in the ho- the Star Wars holiday special.
4: Uh, two hours of. <laughs>
2: okay, I, you know, I just tried to watch that uh, last Christmas just as a goof because I hadn't seen it in years, and I couldn't make it all the way
3: through. Jeff, um, co-host of Camel Clutch Cinema with me, Guy Hutchinson, made a special edit of that that actually makes it watchable. Really. Yeah, he 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 edited it in a way that took out like um, a lot of the weird, awkward parts. Probably when that uh, one singer is it is singing to uh, Chewbacca's dad, and it gets kind of. That's
0: Diane Carroll. That's Diane. Carol, That's Diane, Diane Carroll. You can't take that out.
3: Well, it was shortened because in, I think in the 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 actual
0: episode,
3: it's like four or five minutes long. That's you only really need like thirty seconds. Yeah, and that.
2: Grandpa was kind of like getting <laughs> off on it, wasn't he? <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> That
2: is what is so awesome about it. <laughs> <laughs> so painful to watch, man. <laughs> oh my gosh.
4: Oh, All right. So, to General Motors. Uh,
2: according to the super panel, the animated series is canon. And I think our, our word is, is law on this now.
0: I, I believe you are correct. I agree.
4: And the, well, the one last thing I want to add about Star Trek Animated being related to canon is uh, the episode yesteryear. Yes, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't remember if it was DC that wrote it or if it was uh, Walter Koenig, uh, but whichever one of them wrote it, it's a beautiful uh, delve into the Vulcan uh, culture episode, which resonates all the way to Enterprise, and uh, a three-part a three-part episode they did on Enterprise, mm-hmm. which uh, it covers everything from the Salat uh, to the um, the the Forge, and. Um, the Kershara, mm-hmm. all of that was sourced from the animated episode uh, yesteryear. Yeah, and that was DC,
3: by the way, Vernon. Excellent, yeah. excellent. So it's,
2: it's very difficult to say that it's not canon if future shows uh, used things that were introduced in an animated series episode, right?
4: Yeah, uh, Unification. Mm-hmm. Sarek mentions a few things about Spock's boyhood that are directly from that episode. Going into the mountains, spending days in the mountains, he said. Yep. Yep, and
2: the and his pet wasn't his pet brought up later too.
4: Yeah, the the salot. Yeah. Oh God, what was its name? It uh... was a name. It had a name. It had a name. Yep. Yep. Um, oh, this is gonna kill me when I listen to this later.
2: Well, now we know what uh, trivia question to ask Vernon.
4: Yeah, Larry's listening. Stop, Vernon. <laughs> Vernon, uh, Vernon doesn't know Spock's pet salot's name. Damn it! He'll have it but down just, by the convention. The say lot is called a setlith. I know that.
2: All right. So I mentioned earlier when I did the kind of plot rundown for the animated series episode that uh, in, in this episode the Klingons have this new super weapon that appears only in the animated series episode is never used again. So I guess maybe they decided it was it, it wasn't as good as they thought it was. But it, essentially, what this super weapon did was it was some sort of a beam a high-intensity beam that would dis- completely disable a- an enemy ship and also partially disable the Klingon ship. So they, they, it was kind of like being cloaked where they couldn't fire while they were using it. It was depleting all of their energy to use it. So uh, kind of seems a-, a little bit almost useless for one ship. I mean, if you had a couple of Klingon ships, maybe it would be more useful because the other ones could just blow stuff up while they had you disabled. But th- did it strike anybody else as odd that, th- that they used that weapon? Uh, as a solo Klingon ship, it was hard to see what the end game of using that weapon was.
4: Especially since the beam was divided into three directions. Yeah, at one uh, point, right. If it was simply directed at one ship... Well, okay. Uh, in that episode, it was aiming uh, at the Enterprise and the two Antares-class cargo. Yeah, the, uh, cargo. the robot so, ships, yeah. Yeah, robot, robot ships. Gosh. It just seems to me it was a little overkill for one ship to try... Maybe a network of Klingon ships hmm. could have... Could have uh, effectively used that that weapon. Yeah, like the
2: Klingolian web.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I like that.
2: It could have been, you know, it's the weapon that could have been. Uh, Chris, since you've been pretty quiet, you have any thoughts on that that bizarre weapon choice? If they didn't actually go after the uh, other ships, did they? This way after the Enterprise, right? Yeah, well, then the Enterprise was trying to use the other ships to uh, to throw off the Klingons, so they, yeah, kind of they split the beam. From them, right? Yeah, that's how they that's how they yeah. broke free. That was Kirk's big strategic move <laughs> that worked. <laughs> the robot ships. And thankfully, Uhura was the one that pointed out the robot ships were still out there. Kirk didn't even think of it until she said something. So maybe she's the hero. Oh, well,
1: she did something useful.
3: Oh! 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 Whoa. On. Yeah. Chris. One thing to uh, take a dig at Harry Mudd, but
2: well, you know this is great because I think you know this being the second uh, conven- the convenience of this of the super panel, I think we're settling into our roles, and Chris is clearly the villain today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Somebody's got to do it, or the
4: JJ of the bunch. Oh, oh
2: man, that's hard. <laughs> you know, someday like he it. may listen to this, Vernon.
3: I'm sorry. No, I like it. So I like though. it.
0: This is great. He likes. It. He's happy with that. <laughs> uh,
2: Craig Cohen, thoughts on the the weapon itself?
4: Um, no, I don't think anything that
3: we didn't cover on the commentary.
4: I, I do have one last thought on the animated episode: the fact that they bothered to even get Stanley Adams to come back and do Cyrano. Yeah. True. Uh, I love James Doohan's work and the fact that he covered so many voices throughout the animated series and the original series. Hell of a voiceover guy. But couldn't they have brought back Mr. Campbell's voice to do Koloth instead of just having James doin
3: do Koloth's voice, which was not convincing? No, he didn't him. do a good Klingon. It no. was too cartoony. He did his computer voice. Yeah. That's, that's what he did. Captain James T. Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Oh, thank you. I got that perfect. I can
2: do one good voice. <laughs> uh.
4: <laughs> oh when you know by the time we get to blood oath on deep space nine when Koloth is there i was expecting him to say dax it is good to see you again my friend <laughs> how
2: have you been uh if, if you have if, if you haven't seen this episode anybody listening to this it's worth it just to hear that klingon voice
4: yeah it's
2: kind of yeah. awkward and kind of funny
4: Bless James Duen's soul. Bless his soul.
2: So we we mentioned briefly before that this episode also brings in uh, another creature that we've never seen again. I guess except if you were at the uh, the convention and saw the live action glomer that that April was (laughs) mentioning before. But the, so the the way that this thing works, it, it's kind of a bizarre looking creature. But again, this is one of the things that Craig pointed out. This is one of the things that they could do with the animated series that they couldn't do with the regular series proper because there was just no way that you could have convincingly made a creature that looked like this. So it walks around on, 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 I think, three legs and it's kind of a red blob with little eyeballs on the top of it. And it would walk over top of a tribble and then like sit on top of the tribble.
4: It it ate it ate the dribbles South Park style if yes. you know what
2: I mean <laughs> yeah through the through the back end <laughs> so it was a little bit strange but uh, there was only one glomer and uh, and uh, the Cyrano was being chased by the Klingons because he stole uh, this glomer creature uh, for what purpose I wasn't exactly sure because Cyrano had stated that he. Genetically modified the tribbles so that they wouldn't reproduce. So I wasn't sure what he would need the glomer for. I don't think that was really uh, fleshed out too much in the episode, but uh, I think that was just they used that as a plot device to have the Klingons chase after them. Thoughts in general on the glomer and, and why they they didn't reuse it at all. I thought it would have been kind of a cool creature to see, you know, thrown in a background somewhere or brought into, you know, maybe into a, the Deep Space Nine episode when they overran the uh, the promenade with tribbles.
0: Well now I'm wishing that at the convention that they would have done, you know, uh th- that the glomer would have sat on the tribble and done that whole thing. You know, that would have been cool. <laughs> oh no, I
4: think there was a video made in the suite later,
3: but it's <laughs> it's not available to the public. <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> I actually think the glomer probably would have been hard to pull off until until pretty recently, you know, at least convincingly. Uh I, I don't know if they had the technology on DS9 to really do it.
1: Yeah, without uh cgi that would have been really difficult
3: unless they made like a glamour puppet like almost a marionette Mm
1: -hmm. yeah well, i mean i guess that is
2: true because if you if you look at some of the attempts at uh cgi creatures in say next gen some of that stuff was kind of rough around the edges a little rigid a little stiff and um i guess you probably couldn't have pulled it off until maybe the enterprise days oh yeah yeah
0: that's probably why they didn't revisit it you know just too hard to to
2: do yeah well there's a there's another idea for for jj yeah. throw the glomer in there why
4: not
3: <laughs> well somebody's gonna have to take out that immortal tribble they have running around now right
4: That's the con nice. tribble <laughs> it's, it's gonna be you know that sets up a whole new movie the wrath of tribble because he has con's blood in him now mm-hmm. yeah that Tribble can take over the universe
0: kill all the klingons yeah absolutely
4: and you can know, Cumberbatch with triple fur on his face, going, "My name is Con.
2: <laughs> Can I drop the obvious joke here? Super Tribble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we we, we theorized now. We were just saying that the now this resurrected God Tribble is going to be out there somewhere. And I guess what we it wasn't clear whether or not that was one of the sterilized Tribbles or one of the Tribbles that would reproduce. So if it if it is in fact the god tribble that can reproduce, we could have a serious apocalypse on our hands.
0: Well, that's true, but maybe they put it in the in the chamber with uh, with Kong on it put it to sleep. He's got a little sleepy tribble with <laughs> <laughs> he's got a nice furry thing to hold on to, and he's asleep.
4: Oh, that's hilarious! That's what... Sounds good to me. <laughs> I think that whole franchise should be put to sleep. That...
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, Vernon, they just announced the
4: new one. What, you mean Star Wars Episode Seven? That's no. the third Star Trek movie?
2: No, 2016.
3: Just in time for the 50th anniversary. Yep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so. We, we, I <laughs> guess we won't tell him who's directing it. Oh, tell him, uh, tell him. <laughs> oh,
4: it's going to be one of the writers, Orchie or Lindelof, or one of those it's guys. It, exactly. It, you caught it. It's Orchie. Yeah, maybe it might be slightly better. Than, oh. Because what, what I love about Orchie and Lindelof, they actually know who I am. J.J. doesn't know who I am. <laughs> those guys know oh, who I am and they know I hate what they're doing yeah. so maybe this will be
3: entertaining my <laughs> biggest concern there is he's never directed a movie before
0: yes that's uh, very true
3: and here he's going to be directing a hundred million dollar plus budget movie
0: well he can't do any worse
3: than so. <laughs> I
4: know because to watch a J.J. movie you'd think he'd never directed it before <laughs> oh, oh no oh man <laughs>
0: Why, is this, why are we slamming JJ? I know, I'm
4: sorry, I won't do it anymore. Stop I, it. I'm sorry. Okay. Stop. <laughs> we were talking about Tribbles. Tribbles. Yes,
2: we were. So we, we, we we're wrapping up the animated series episode uh with the with the talk about the glommer. So we can...
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's why Roddenberry didn't want that to be canon. glommer
2: Okay. so next up let's just let's move on so
4: so
2: next up we've got the ds9 trials and tribulations episode yes oh that that brings some happiness to the group so uh hey chris do you want to give a plot rundown on this one
1: okay uh they actually get uh charlie brill back to play arnie darvin and He's on the board, the uh, Defiant. I think they're taking him back from Cardassia. Uh, he was imprisoned or something. And the Cardassians also happen to give the uh, Bajorans back the Orb of Time. So this guy, he goes, he gets the Orb of Time, and he sends the Defiant back back into the Enterprise, old Enterprise times. And he has a plan to kill Kirk with a trouble with a bomb in it, which is a pretty good idea, I think. What a great way to kill Kirk. What been better than <laughs> yeah, the way he that, died in Generations. that's a way to go out. So anyway, yeah, he ends up telling them exactly what he's going to do and all that. They hunt down the Tribble, and they save the day. But this is just, it's a really fun episode. The job they do incorporating DS9 cast with the old footage is absolutely fantastic. You really can't tell the difference at all. Uh, The coloring they used, it matches really, really good. They did a fantastic job with that. And I really love the 3D models they used for uh, the space station and Enterprise. And I wouldn't be surprised if they used those same 3D models for the uh, uh, Blu-ray remaster.
4: Those were physical models in Trials and Tribulations.
1: Really? Wow. Those were
4: motion control models. Great, yeah.
1: Amazing. Oh, they were fantastic. They were really, really good. There's a lot of great stuff to talk about in this episode,
2: and I'm sure everybody has a lot of really great stuff to say. I, I wanted to say I, I recently watched this uh, just to prep for this episode again. I've seen it a few times now, and one thing that really stands out to me is that this episode, it, it almost feels like a love letter to the original series. They, they treat the source material so well. Uh, they, they don't at any point treat the original series as a joke or, or, or play it off as silly or campy. They really treat it... With a lot of respect and a lot of love, I I, I I hope everybody else feels the same way.
0: Oh yes, I mean it is. It, it really is what you said. It's a love letter, you know, to uh, to something that is iconic and uh, going back to the roots of Star Trek and what made it so popular and so beloved. And uh, just to touch on that again, I have to tell you, has anybody here watched um, the Star Trek Continues? Uh, they're they're really really well done, fan films um yes they're they're great and what they're doing is kind of going back and revisiting the old the original series and um they're using the same lighting and the same um shots you know and just just doing everything the way it was done and i think that on this ds9 episode that they really did the same thing you know to keep it in that looking like uh, it was from the 60s. You know, they didn't update the old footage. They basically put themselves into that 60s footage and, and melded it together. And so they just did a great job with that.
3: Oh, yeah, totally. And the other thing that I really like about this episode is how they were able to use points in the original episode to work into the story of, uh, Probably the biggest example I can think of is at the end of the Trouble with Tribbles episode, um, when all the Tribbles are falling out of that overhead hatch, there's quite a few seconds that pass before some other ones come down. And in the DS9 episode, they were able to explain why those other ones came down so late, (laughs) which I thought was really – I thought that was a really neat detail. And when you watch watch the original Trouble with Tribbles, you can't help but – Think of what Cisco and the and the gang are doing behind the scenes.
4: Yep. Now, yeah, that has forever changed the way we watch that episode. Now.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. So the only weird thing, though, for me, this was one of the one of my favorite scenes in the DS nine episode. But it kind of breaks for me when I watch the original one. Is after the fight scene when Kirk has all of his officers in a lineup and he's uh, trying to shake them down to find out who threw the first punch. So you've got. <laughs> O'Brien and Bashir who've been uh, inserted into that line and actually get to talk to Kirk during that sequence, which I thought was brilliantly done. So it was a little bit of a weird thing to go back and to watch the original Tribbles episode and, and have them not be there. (laughs) But I thought that scene was, was exceptionally well done and and it it really showcased how much work they put into uh, making those effects realistic.
4: That episode was brilliant, not just in the technical sense, but in the way they wrote what they were going to do to integrate
3: the modern cast with the original one?
2: Absolutely agree on that. There's so many little touches.
3: Yeah, you know what else really sort of, and maybe Chris or Vernon can speak to this, are like the the time cops who pretty much.
1: Oh yeah, the Department of uh, Temporal Investigations. It's, it's, yeah, it's,
3: it's, was the, that something that was that was utilized again in Trek? That was a that seemed like a. Like like the time cop thing seemed like a brand new concept to me. Yeah, that's like a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah, that's the only time they've actually used them. They've brought them up uh, fairly often in the novels, but not in the uh, shows.
3: Yeah, I love the fact that they, um, when uh, when Cisco mentions Kirk, um, <laughs> they say he was like one of the biggest offenders. Yeah, 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 it's 17, seventeen
1: violations. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> you know, the names Luxley and Mul- and Dulmer were anagrams of. Scully and Mulder. Oh, oh wow. wow! Okay, uh, there was a early, very early concept where, uh, unfortunately, the studios couldn't agree on a the deal. There was going to be an episode where uh, the agents from the X Files, Scully and Mulder, were going to have to capture, interrogate, and explain why these uh, Earth people from the future were on Earth. Uh, tracking down some bad guy, which was going to be the some of the crew members from DS I Nine. Mean, it was going to be a crossover X Files and Star Trek. Oh my god! Uh, uh, it, wow. it never got beyond even the first draft before they realized the studios are never going to combine on this. We're never going to do it. Then um, I can't. Uh, Ron Moore was proposing something about the I-Oceans, and uh, going back to revisit that and how they imitate. Uh, they used to imitate the gangsters of the '40s. Now they're imitating Kirk and Spock. So it's like a Star Trek convention planet. <laughs> uh, but then they eventually came around to the idea of doing revisiting uh, the Trouble with Tribbles. And when Ira Bear was talking about that in a restaurant and saw Charlie Brill sitting at the bar, they said, "Oh, well, there's an omen right there. We're going to do this." But the Luxley Dulmer thing is a kind of a nod. Or a tribute to this is what we were going to do. This was going to be the X Files Star Trek crossover episode, which in my Vernon Wilmer fan universe <laughs> would have been the ultimate thing ever to watch. I wouldn't need any other DVD in the world if that episode had been made. That would have been amazing.
2: Yep. Well, I I had not. I did not know that that was even that had ever been considered. And now I'm kind of uh, filling my head with what could have been.
4: Oh God. Well, that- you know, hopefully, a comic book company will pick up on that and and flesh it out someday.
2: Actually, why don't we find an artist and we'll 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 write it up and we'll we'll make a comic ourselves and then get sued. To
3: Kickstarter. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: then we'll sue us into oblivion. <laughs> uh, so, uh, does anybody have any other thoughts they'd like to share about the the DS Nine episode in particular? Scenes that stick out to you that you really like, uh, Vernon? Anything?
4: I've got a ton of stuff. First off, the effects, the Enterprise and the K7 station. Most people assume they're CG, and in an era where CG was available, they decided to go with physical models. Thank God, because I will take a physical model over a CG shot any day. In fact, Darren Benjamin, the head bartender of Quarks at Star Trek The Experience, he and I were sitting there watching that episode on the Quark's monitors one night, and we got into an argument over it because he swore up and down those were CG. I said, "Uh, dude, those are physical models, and I can prove it to you. My reward will be free Klingon blood draft for a month. That's awesome. (laughs) He took that bet, and I made him put on the, the DVD of the episode and put on the Michael Okuda text commentary, which proves it was a five-foot shooting model of the Enterprise and the K-7 space station. So I got fully, I got free Klingon beer for a month, out of that bet. The other things I wanted to mention about that episode of the Klingon makeup change, which it's it's kind of funny the way it's glossed over in that episode and explained later in Enterprise, because the the kind of standardizations that uh, Bashir and O'Brien throw out in the gloss over sequence, uh, what happened? Some kind of genetic manipulation, some kind of viral mutation. Those end up both being absolutely true. That's exactly what happened that we get explained later on enterprise. It was a genetic mutation brought on by a viral manipulation by, by what's his, Oh God, John Shuck, the Klingon actor who played, um, uh, God in Star Trek Four, he was the Klingon ambassador.
0: Oh,
4: that's right. Uh, Kemmerag, in Star Trek Four and Star Trek Six, he played the Klingon medical guy who made all this happen and gave us the two different looking Klingons.
2: Wasn't wasn't it? Uh, didn't they tie it back to Khan and the Augments too?
4: Yeah, yeah. that even ties the Star Trek in, uh, universe in closer by relating it to the Eugenics Wars.
2: Yeah, I remember that from that Enterprise uh, that Enterprise two part. Uh, episode that was a, a very interesting way to to wrap that story around.
4: It was um, the the Eugenics Wars trilogy we get on Enterprise is let me get this straight, Home, Borderland, and the Augment. So that's a three parter you got to watch. that ha- Ties into the Eugenics Wars. Then a half a season later, you've got to watch Affliction and Divergence, which is a duology that is a sequel of the pre- previous uh, trilogy, but also ties you into um, the original Star Trek universe, the Star Trek, the next generation and Star Trek, deep space nine, you know, the fourth season of enterprise is really good at tying the whole damn thing together.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think, uh, I think Chris was the one that was telling me about, he, he got me to actually sit down and watch uh, seasons three and four of, of enterprise. Cause I'd kind of given up on it after, you know, the, most of the first season but uh, I was pleasantly surprised with some of the great stuff that came out of those last two seasons.
0: It got really really good right before they of course, you know, canceled it. <laughs>
2: of
4: course.
0: Like like most relationships.
2: <laughs> oh. Uh any any thoughts uh on the DS9 episode, uh, special scenes or anything that you like, April?
0: Um well, I've been thinking the whole time what my favorite my favorite—I don't know—it's a scene, but it's a—it's a, an interaction—is where Dax is all very, very excited to get on the Enterprise, uh, and she's talking about how she can't wait to to meet uh, this guy, and and everybody thinks she's talking about uh, Captain Kirk, and turns out she's got the hots for uh, Spock. Yep. <laughs> you know, and uh, and I thought that was funny. That's my favorite interaction in that episode. I just love that because, of course, you know who wouldn't want to be with Kirk? But it turns out not so much. So
4: you know, David Gerald is in that episode. He's one of the Starfleet officers in the Enterprise corridors.
2: Oh, cool! Yeah, it's a shame they couldn't have orchestrated some kind of cat fight between Dax and Nurse Chapel.
0: Oh snap! <laughs> well, it's too late now, but that would have been awesome.
4: There's one more thing I want to say about that episode. For those of you who own the DVDs of either the original series or DS9, please watch the specials on the making of Trials and Tribulations because it really gives you some in-depth stuff. Uh, It's on level. It's not just another uh, behind-the-scenes featurette. It's a multi-plane thing. Ira Bear and I, I think Ira Bear does a commentary on that episode on the DS9 version. It's funny. April and I actually both listened to Ira Bear personally in, oh, in Larry Nemechek's, uh hotel suite talk about the same damn thing he talks about on the DVD specials for about an hour without any, letting anybody interject about what went on to create that episode, to make it happen, the whole restaurant, to eat, make sure if you've got the ds9 or the original series episodes of anything having to do with tribbles that you watch the commentary you listen to the commentaries and watch the featurettes it's very educational and historical stuff
2: yeah both of those featurettes are also on the original series blu-ray uh season two i think it's disc it's the tribbles disc it's the disc that has nothing but tribbles on it
3: yeah it's got the animated series episode it's got the ds9 episode it's got uh um some making ofs as, as well yeah
2: yeah it's pretty cool there's a lot of good stuff both of those uh, those little mini documentaries are excellent. So yep, they I, w- are. I will co sign on that. Uh, Chris
1: Ritzer, uh, any thoughts, uh, scenes, favorite the pieces about this episode? Yeah, I like after uh, Dax is fawning over Spock, Cisco uh, starts dragging her away and she's like, oh, don't you want to go talk to him and all that? And this one, Cisco brings up, he'd love to talk to Kirk about fighting the Gorn on Cestus Three. Yes. So even Cisco yes. wants more Gorn.
2: Thank you, Chris. Yes. <laughs> I was going to mention welcome.
1: that, but thank you for bringing
2: that up. The Gorn must come into every episode. Uh, that we... Oh, by the way, everybody, I just want to let you know, uh, I actually have a Gorn decal on my car now.
3: Oh, yes. wow. <laughs> You're going to have to send a picture of that out on, the, uh, on the, the Facebook or the Twitter. Oh, I will.
2: There, I found that there's a, an awesome uh, vinyl decal set, original series vinyl decal set on Think Geek now.
4: Cool. Does it say, I grow weary of the chase?
2: <laughs> That's a pretty good Gorn. But yeah, so in that, in that is a bunch of villains and the original cast, and uh, one of them happens to be the Gorn. There's an Andorian and a Klingon, too. They're on my car as well. Uh, Craig Cohen, any uh, memorable scenes or, or pieces from this episode that you like?
3: If I'm just picking one, I'm going to say it's the, the scene where um, they didn't even use footage from The Trouble with Tribbles, and it's the sequence where Cisco takes a minute to have Kirk sign off on the, whatever, the the log or whatever Kirk it's has to sign It's from Mirror, off. Mirror. Yeah. And I just love that moment. And it's a great moment for Cisco. And it's just a really, it's a really cool moment because, as Vernon pointed out, they didn't use footage from The Trouble with Tribble. So you couldn't even see it coming, which is really neat.
2: Yeah, I agree. I really love that scene. And it was really cool the way that the way that that Cisco treated Kirk in that scene. You could feel there's a reverence there. Totally. Yeah, that he was kind of living a fantasy that he never thought that he would ever get to, to live out. You know, in, in, even in a, a world of holodecks where you could probably do that anytime you wanted to, but he actually experienced it for real.
4: Right. They, they couldn't have picked a better clip to use for that. Because not only, it's from Mirror Mirror, where he sees Lieutenant Moreau in the Standard Universe. Um, They couldn't have picked a better clip because not only was Kirk in the same uh, casual duty uniform that he was in, in Trouble with Tribbles, Mm -hmm. but Uhura is in the background gawking at this Cisco guy, like, (laughs)
1: wow,
4: I want to get with that. (laughs) And Spock's also giving an appropriate look, like... Uh, that's a stand up looking guy, but I don't know who the hell it is. Yeah. It's a perfect perfect scene to insert Cisco into. Yeah.
2: That's a great observation. I didn't even really think about that. I only kind of concentrated on Kirk and, and Cisco, but I'll have to go back and look at that again. Watch
4: Cora and Spock in that scene. It's perfect interaction on all three levels. That is
2: awesome. Well, that kind of wraps up the the three episodes that that we had on the agenda to discuss. Um, but while we have April and Vernon here, we have a few weeks left before the uh, convention comes. And I know you guys said before we started this episode that you're working on a, a photo slideshow to go along with your panel.
0: Right. Well, because what we're what we're talking about on the uh, on the Star Trek: The Experience panel is the interactions that we had with the guests and the way the guests, you know, what, what the experience meant to the guests who came. So in order to, to help the audience really see what we're talking about, we're going to use a slideshow and PowerPoint, PowerPoint. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good at that. Um, Anyway, so we've been selecting photos, and um, I've asked people to send me photos, and we're going to put them in in order so that uh, when the person starts talking, I'll have, you know, have the uh, the appropriate pictures to go along with what they're you talking what
4: about. You know, be cool is when you hit the PowerPoint icon; it goes PowerPoint. <laughs> now, do you guys remember film strips? Is anybody here as old as me? Uh, do you remember film strips where you were the kid in the class chosen to turn the little mm-hmm. dial to the next picture of Abraham Lincoln? Yes, when you heard the little tone. <laughs> Boop. Thank you. Yes, that's what PowerPoint is, just in a digital format.
0: That's right, except it's on your computer. Boop. But, <laughs> but it works very nicely, and there's no beep. Ricky, turn the knob, Ricky.
4: <laughs> You'd be asleep at the wheel. <laughs>
0: Anyway, so that's what we're doing, and, uh, you know, so I've gotten some really nice pictures from people, and and we're very excited. We are so excited to do this panel, I can't even tell you.
4: Abraham Lincoln built a log cabin back in 1842. <sighs> oh, no. Well, hey, Abraham Lincoln was on a Trek episode.
2: You could talk about that.
0: <laughs> My God, you are right. He's not on our panel,
2: though. So. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. So... Thanks everybody for being here. Uh, I'll I'll go around the room once more for for any closing remarks before we uh, we finish up here. So, uh, April, anything you want to say to wrap this up?
0: Uh, No, except for this was fun as you know as always, uh, hanging out with you guys and super panel super panel and. uh, once again, one of my favorite episodes of the original series. Uh, so well done, and yeah, you know, the, now that we're talked about the DS Nine episode, I really got to go back and watch that because uh, it was so. It it was it was a love letter, uh, a shout out to to something that is iconic and. Uh, yeah, just just really great. And so that- much,
4: so much more than Riker and Fat Riker and Troy <laughs> trying to squeeze back into their spandex and interacting with Captain Archer. Yeah, much more. <laughs>
0: yeah, much more than that.
2: Vernon alluding to the the finale of Enterprise.
0: Right.
2: Okay. Uh, Vernon, my, why don't you go Vern- next? <laughs> I'm
3: sorry.
4: Yeah, I kind of butted my way in there. Yes, I'm sorry. you did. Uh, uh, I think we I, we covered everything Tribble-related. We didn't mention the fact you do see Tribbles in Star Trek Three: the search for Spock. I won't tell you where. Just watch the damn movie and look for the Tribbles. But I just posted online, and maybe you'll put a link up to this, my entry oh, yes. for the Star Trek Convention Music Video Contest this year. Uh, I just put it on my Facebook page, Star Trek, Oops, Upside Your Head, mm-hmm. which features a lot of footage from Star Trek. Uh, Trouble both Trouble. Trouble with Tribbles. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Trouble with Tribbles. There's some Tribble footage in there. So watch it. It's funny. You'll have a, a great laugh. And hey, maybe I can be the winner again this year, as usual, as always. Well, I certainly
2: <laughs> hope so. That That's the video with all of the slaps and punches, right? Yeah.
4: You've seen it?
2: You've yeah, seen I saw it? when you, you posted a preview, uh, you sent out like a little private note Uh, uh, a while back with it. And I watched it and it is well done. It has to have been a lot of work.
4: Thank you. Yes. It took about two years to make that video. There is more bitch clapping in Star Trek than you would ever imagine (laughs) until you see this video.
2: Yes. I will vouch for it. As as a person who's seen it, it is quite funny. And I I imagine when it is played in front of a a large audience, there's going to be a lot of laughter there. And I will happily put a link to that.
4: Thank you, sir.
1: In the show notes. Uh, Chris Ritzer, closing remarks. All the uh, triple episodes are really fun, uh, especially the DS9 episode. And uh, yeah, I think we just about covered everything. So yeah, all right, very good. Craig Cohen,
3: I just want to say that um, the these supplemental episodes with the panels really sort of illustrate how great you know the the show content that we can generate is, and this is really. Uh, A perfect episode um, or cluster of episodes to talk about. And I just really am always amazed, continually amazed by the the topics and content that the Super Panel brings to the table. I always learn something new. So uh, thanks again, guys. Super Panel.
2: (laughs) Perfect timing on that one. So yeah, you know I'll reiterate Craig's comments. Thanks again, guys, for being on this. This whole super panel thing has been awesome, and I'm I'm really looking forward to the next one. We're gonna have to discuss which episode we want to do next, but uh, it's always a heck of a lot of fun to talk to you guys. I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys in Vegas, and uh, thanks as always for being on the show. And thanks to all of our listeners uh, who are listening in. Our our, uh, our listener numbers have been creeping up. And we're very happy about that. Word's been getting out. We've met a lot of great new friends, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing some of them at the convention and uh, getting to know a lot more of you out there. So if you're listening to this and you want to catch up with us online, you can catch us at thetricordertransmissions.com on Facebook, slash thetricordertransmissions, and TTT underscore pod on Twitter. Uh, April, Vernon, Chris, anybody want to give a plug where people can find you?
0: If you want to friend me on Facebook, I'm April a bear h-e-b-e-r-t just uh send me a message when you uh send me a friend request and let me know that uh, you heard me on the tricorder transmissions
4: and you can find me vernon and all things star Trek: the experience related at star trek my experience on
3: facebook you nailed it vernon
1: <laughs> uh, chris ritzer any plugs <laughs> Uh, you'll be able to find me partying my ass off the next 4th of July weekend down in Maryland at Peck Summerfest. So anybody out there, come on out and party. Nice. nice. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs>
0: All
2: right. Thanks, as always, for listening. And we will see you on our next regularly scheduled episode of the Tricorder Transmissions. Take it easy, everybody. And uh, this is uh, another clip from Five Year Mission to take us out.